0: But I want to bring up someone for a life change story today who is a spark plug around here. Cleo, put your hands together for Cleo. Come on up here. All righty, man, we got Cleo up here today. She's got her name Cleo and on the other side it says spark plug. Your wife did this. Yeah, my wife did that. (laughs) Cleo we love you, you. but let's go back. back. When did Jesus get a hold of you sister? Come on When did he really? I'm not churchify you. I mean save your soul. When did that happen?
1: It happened at a time when I wasn't even coherent Hmm. I was like a lot of us older people getting you know getting high and what have you And I was with a friend that I couldn't recognize her today because we were just those we weren't tight friends, yeah. but we went to a party, and I was smoking herb. And then someone handed Hold me a- that a
0: little bit closer so that we get all the incriminating evidence on oh. tape. No, no, I just want it to be heard <laughs> out and clear. You go ahead. Uh, and someone handed me
1: a really thin joint, so I thought. And it happened to be angel dust. Oh, no. And I'm smoking it like it's a regular joint. And the next thing I know, a guy is taking me out. Oh, no. To his car. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go, but my body was so limp that I couldn't resist. And just as he got me to his car door, my girlfriend came out and said, No, you're not taking her. And that's when I got saved. And I didn't even know he was saving me.
0: That's he, has, when. he has done a radical work in your life, Cleo. And you know, my bride and I, when we took you out to lunch, it's such a sweet thing to hear your story. There's so many layers to it. But at the end of the day, I think the thing that thrills me about you is you are so overwhelmingly convinced of the love of the Heavenly Father in your life. Explain how real that is to you, and what's it mean on a day-to-day basis for you, Cleo?
1: Well, it's so real, that I can't talk about it without crying. That's how it's real it okay. is. <laughs> and um, daily, I he's a part of my life to the point where if I'm getting ready to tell a lie, I can't lie. You know, I, I just, it's just little things about yeah. me that have changed so that my perspective and how I look at people, um, the consideration that I take and the love that I have for people and to be in, a, in an environment, to be at 180, where's this? There, there, yeah. that's my guy. Oh, I love you guys. Oh, I wish you would stop these tears. But you know what? Dr. Copley told me, and, I, and he festered you. When I told him I was going to cry, he said, that's good because God has given us so many tears because when you get to heaven, there won't be tears. Yeah. So get them all out <laughs> now. Get them all out now. <laughs> so I'm getting them all out now. <laughs> but it's just um, every day I can just see the change in me and the way that I look at people and the way that I accept certain defaults and how when i don't accept them instantly he corrects me to either be quiet or just accept it and say it's not for you to fix it's for me to fix mm-hmm. let me fix you yeah and then we can fix them yeah. <laughs> that's how he is in my life that's how he's in
0: my life you know you are a worshipper of god you inspire me you inspire us some people are like man when cleo gets really singing and just shouting amens and getting that rag flying in the air and stuff like that it it does something for all of us doesn't it guys when people like Cleo do that
1: and you know what
0: yeah so what? go ahead
1: that is the one thing that almost kept me from not joining this church Mm -hmm. because I know that when I praise God I'm not a runner up and down the aisles but I I shout, you know. I, I, I I, actually, my spirit just wants me to say thank you out loud. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I, and 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 normally, people are quiet. So I'm like, Father, will they accept me (laughs) and my (laughs) big mouth?
0: Our only question is, elders around here, is are we gonna accept the quiet? (laughs) That's good to know.
1: Because I just said forget it I'm just gonna do me I'm just gonna let Lord God do what he's doing in me and just let that be that (laughs) and thank you so much everybody for accepting me and thank you pastor Carl you are a dynamite pastor I know this is supposed to be about me but you have helped me grow this whole church I've been I come from a Baptist Church background you stop me when I'm going too long and I would be so enthralled and enjoy the messages, but I always, this is for me and you, okay. it's Kleenex, okay?
0: Thank um. you, you <laughs> cried. You thought we were gonna be here a month on Sundays.
1: But I know you cried, I you're do. the only I pastor cry. I've ever seen cry. I, I cry like crazy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've never seen another pastor cry, and that, that touches my spirit, because I know where that crying is coming from. Yeah. I know it's not fake, I know it's the spirit that's just overwhelming. And I I would walk out of church, and I'd stand, and honest to goodness, my first thought when I would leave church would be, what next? What's next? Because it's like everything had fallen off, but it was something else for me. And this is my what next. I've never been taught about discipleship. I've been taught the Word, so I've been given the the meat of the Word. And now it's time to enjoy it. And to
0: walk. You're a blessing, sister. Oh god, you guys are a blessing. I love you all. You are a blessing. I told Cleo cuz she's she's cogitated moving out of state when it comes time. But I told her, I was teasing this morning during a prayer time here. I said, well, I heard from the Lord that you're not moving ever from here. You're staying at 180. And her eyeballs got big like I'd actually heard from the Lord. And I had to say, I hadn't actually heard that yet.
1: Because I've been contemplating moving for a number of years. And then after joining 180, it became complicated.
0: I hope it continues to be complicated, don't we, guys? we're so thrilled that you're here I want you to do something different normally I would pray right now for you I want you to pray over us Cleo oh wow! would you do it Yes, I will let's go thank you father for entrusting
1: me with your people to speak a word over them on your behalf Lord father just let them know how blessed they are and what a blessing they are to everyone around them even when they don't feel like they are Let them feel you and see you and smell you and touch you and everything that they do and hear and see, Father. And continue to fix me, help me grow, help me be a better person, Lord Jesus. And bless 180, bless 180 as you are doing. And thank you for our new sanctuary that I know you have in store for us, Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much in Jesus' holy name, amen. 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 We got a place
0: Yeah, we do. <laughs> you, you may, you may not know this, but what she was actually thanking God for is a place that's coming, and she actually believes that God's moving miracles and opening a warehouse that we're gonna retrofit yes. one day. Yes, and uh, yes, yes. we love you, Cleo. Give her a hand, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All hail King Jesus would capture our hearts, all of it, God, let what is in the shadows and the recesses of our minds and our hearts be brought into the light, that we will have fellowship with you and one another, and we give you thanks this morning, all hail King Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Before you sit down, fist bump. I'm going to cause someone to pull a muscle when I have them. They're going down and they're going back up. Somebody's going to pull an Achilles heel there. Fist bump two people you've never said hi to in your life right now. And don't say a word. Go ahead. believe we generally miss the mark with sin and injustice in the world in two ways one is we have self-righteous antagonism this is the angry christians we talk about angry evangelicalism is one of the greatest turnoffs to the gospel in our society today don't be a self-righteous antagonist what we have, if we have come into a relationship we have with Jesus Christ, is by his grace and his grace alone. Come on, somebody. We generally miss the mark with regard to sin and injustice in the world because, number one, yeah, self-righteous antagonism. And the other one is a spiritualized pacifism. We don't know what to do. We look at scriptures like, love your enemies, love the world, and we go, oh, something inside me is cringing, or maybe you've been betrayed or had truly knives hanging out of your back, and you're like, well, what do we do with that? And we're kind of a super-spiritualized but not biblical pacifist. We don't know what to do. But what if we began to call out to a God with a different voice? May we call down judgment from God on people? Is there a time to pray for harm to another person? Can you love your enemies and ask God to bring calamity all at the same time into their lives? And today I'm going to offer you an approach to injustice and sin around us that is rarely addressed. It's a paradigm of prayer called imprecatory. But the challenge is not if or how we pray imprecatory prayers, it is something much more significant. I wanna be clear with you that the word imprecatory is not anywhere in the scriptures, it's a Latin word that combines two parts, one meaning towards and the other meaning to pray or to ask. Imprecatory psalms are those songs that are sung that contain curses or prayers for the punishment of the psalmist's enemies and they're all over scripture. To imprecate means to invoke evil upon or to curse. Psalm 7, Psalm 35, Psalm 55, Psalm 58, 59, 69, 79, 109, 137, 139, all contain prayers for God's judgment on enemies. An example of imprecatory prayers from the Psalms are as follows. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, Psalm fifty-five, fifteen. 15. Oh o God, break the teeth in their mouths, Psalm 58, 6. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous, Psalm 69, 28. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow, Psalm 109, 9. And the list goes on and on and for those of you who would say maybe this morning those are songs that were written for Israel alone and that there's no New Testament evidence for imprecatory prayers you'd be wrong let me give you a few in Matthew 23 13 Jesus himself said woe to you scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites and had strong words of condemnation in Matthew 26 He looked at his disciples, he said, the one that's going to dip his hand in the dish with me, it would have been better that this man would have never been born. What? In 1 Corinthians 16, 22, "If if any man loved not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema or set aside or accursed. In Galatians 1, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you other than the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any gospel unto you, then that you, that you receive, let him be accursed. Strong words. And then in Galatians 5, almost an imprecatory prayer that's somewhat humorous, because the Apostle Paul's been dealing with a group of people who thought they needed to be law-abiders, and circumcision was huge, and it was the circumcision crowd, that if you're really in it with God, you got to be circumcised. And the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5.12, I would rather they just go ahead and cut everything off. It's right here in the Word of God. And then in 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith, Paul wrote to Timothy, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, he prayed. What? And then in Revelation 6.10, the voice of the martyrs calling from the heavens, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And then some might say, well, Carl, how does this comport with love your enemies? Great question. Oh, I've done a lot of wrestling with this. And this has been an awesome thing because everything that I've given you thus far has nothing to do with our central passage directly, but it does indirectly and powerfully so. Because when you deal with the issue of love and the emotions that we have with regard to the injustice in this world, We can't become these raging, angry evangelicals, because I want to say this again, angry Christianity has no place in this world. Self-righteous indignation is one of the most ugly traits that any person can have. You'd be better off not knowing Christ than to walk around looking like you've been baptized in pickle juice. God has so much more. But how do we deal with these things? Well, i got to tell you, the best summation of this I'm going to read from Dr. John Tweeddale. He's an academic dean and professor of theology at Reformation Bible College in Florida. He's a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church of America, and I want you to listen to every word he said. If I was rewriting it, I might make a couple nuanced shifts, but man, I'll tell you, he captures it. He says, with regard to imprecatory prayers, the consistent witness of Scripture affirms the legitimacy of God's people making use of imprecatory prayers in their individual, family, and corporate prayers. Underlying this assertion is a basic assumption that the prayers of God's people should be rooted in all of Scripture. The Psalter, the Psalms, is God's divinely inspired prayer book and hymnal. It gives us a language of petition and praise. The imprecatory psalms help give shape to the hurt and the outrage that the people of God at times experience in a world desecrated by sin. I'm going to read that again. The imprecatory psalms help give shape to the hurt and the outrage that the people of God at times experience in a world desecrated by sin. He goes on to say some react to the harsh language of the imprecatory psalms. While this is understandable, we mustn't lose sight of what our sin deserves. Others underscore the teaching of Jesus to love our enemies. But loving our enemies in the New Testament never comes at the expense of foregoing appeals to divine justice. Praying for God to punish the wicked is neither unloving nor vindictive, but is an expression of faith in him who judges justly, 1 Peter 2, 23. Still others want to limit the imprecatory Psalms to old covenant Israel. While the circumstances of God's covenant people have changed in the advent of Christ, the same cruelties that plagued Israel as a believing people in a hostile world still haunt the church today if we remove the vocabulary of the imprecatory psalms from our homes and our churches, and could I add this, into our private prayer life, what else will Christians sing and pray when tragedy strikes? To pray the imprecatory psalms is ultimately to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. As Christians, we long for God's kingdom to come. We yearn for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying the imprecatory psalms is not a call to arms, but a call to faith. We lift our voices, not our swords, as we pray for God either to convert or curse the enemies of Christ and his kingdom. And I want to add right now a few caveats to this. Imprecatory prayers, then, are not for vengeance. We never pray imprecatory prayers to get someone back. The minute we pray imprecatory prayers, calling down fire on someone, be careful. You are on unholy ground. But we pray for God's holiness and the preservation of people and the proliferation of life and sanctity in our society and order and that children would grow up with a mom and a dad who love them and hug them and discipline them, all those things that have made societies healthy and poised for the grace and power of God. But I want to tell you this morning, your greatest challenge is not if or how you pray in precatory prayers. It is something much more significant than that. And so today, after all that lead up, I want to give you the title to my message, High Justice. I know in this room we have people that are high justice. I'm married to a high justice woman. When we watch certain newscasts, everything inside of me and my bride, when I sit down in front of that big screen and watch what's going on inside me, sometimes I'm like, God, how shall we pray? How can this happen to children? How can people be so reckless and abusive that they willingly get intoxicated and somewhat knowingly know they're going to injure someone or the possibility is there? God, why so much pain? How, God, can our brothers and sisters right now broadcasting the gospel in Ukraine, how, God, how do I pray for the people that are shooting missiles at a broadcast booth that is simply airing news about the Prince of Peace. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with dictators around the globe that use people as pawns? Anyone that argues with certain dictators, they're vaporized with the missile in the middle of a field. So it is with Kim Jong-un's uncle. Vaporized for all the family to see. How dare you cross me? How do we pray? How do we pray? We can't become angry evangelicals that just go, ah, oh, this evil world and these hateful people and just kind of huff and cross our arms. No! You never see Jesus huffing and crossing his arms. How do we Pray. It's not imprecatory prayers that win the day. It's the heart of the imprecatory prayer that wins the day. Everything we're about to see in this little section of the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most amazing applications, a call to abject holiness, a call to the foot of the cross, a call to meet with God with such intimacy that what comes out of your mouth is holy and consistent with the Word of God, and it's awesome. So in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, look at what Jesus said. Judge not, that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it it will be measured to you just keep that verse up there for a moment guys you've seen some portions of this verse on placards at the supreme court all over the place they've seen them for years judge not But Jesus was not issuing an edict to all of his disciples that would say, never exercise judgment. He's saying this in real kind of practical language, don't be a judgy person that's cavalier the way you assess the world and just throw your words around, don't do it. Of course we're called to exercise judgment, How in the world do you lay hands on an elder if you don't exercise judgment about whether or not he's qualified? How do you know whether or not we send a kid out, and I think we should do more of this, send out young people who are firebrands for the gospel? We need to launch more and more young people into gospel ministry. The rest of my years is going to be aimed at helping you guys be raised up and grow and be launched out. We got a new member to our church. His name's Josh, and he's married to a great woman named Alexis. My heart for this couple right here is to see them launched to the glory of God. But we got to see, we got to watch, we got to pray, and then we move. We exercise judgment without being a self-righteous Christian. They're the worst. And I've had seasons when I was one. It can happen to us. The most amazing thing about my radical salvation is I was saved. So here I am, radically altered by Jesus, transformed by the power of God, God, in his grace, showed me love. I've got nosebleeds from a cocaine addiction. I can barely get them stopped. I cry out to God, and in my pitiful state, God saved me, and he breathed life into me. Within a matter of about six months, I find myself off at a Bible college, and I went from desperate, needy for the grace of God. Oh God, at one point early on in my spiritual pilgrimage when I had a relapse, you know what I did? I knelt beside a bed and I said, God, you saved me, now kill me. Kill me. I'm freaking done. I can't do this. But God showed me grace and mercy and he picked Carl up on his feet and then I go to Bible school and I became a proverbial spiritual horse's patoot. I don't even want to tell you all the things that I started thinking in my mind and saying. It's embarrassing. Don't be quick to judge. And the cautionary thing here is in this point right here high justice people which is okay to be better have high standards for their public conduct and their personal integrity because baby it'll be visited on you and that's not a threat it's a holy god the very measure that we measure to people god says hey great measure you got there make sure you're working that out in your own life there buddy Make sure you're working that out. You ever thrown a boomerang? Oh, boomerangs are awesome little things. I remember the first time I got one. It was plastic, and it was sharp. How did I learn it was sharp? Ooh. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Play it out in the front yard. Dad said, this is a boomerang. I got it for you, son. Soon to find out, I thought, dad's trying to take me out as a young man (laughs) and I grabbed that boomerang and I read the instructions on the back and it said if you got a breeze blowing at you here just kind of throw it out to the right like this and watch that thing go I didn't read all the instructions when you throw that boomerang out there it goes and goes and goes and I was watching it go and I'm like wow check that out I'm just a little guy and then it goes that way and then it starts to come back in my little eyes. I was absolutely shocked. That thing's coming. And I froze. That thing hit me in the torso. And it was sharp. A judgy spirit is like a boomerang into the wind, baby. It's coming back at you. so high-justice people better have high standards for their personal conduct and their private integrity. You say, Carl, well, that's kind of scary. I'd say that's a good fear of the Lord. That's a healthy fear of the Lord. And we'll explain it when he goes on, because Jesus isn't done. Look at what he says now. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye But you do not notice the four-by-four, eight-foot plank and log right in your own eye. Or how do you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye there, brother. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye this is so incredibly rich here guys you're sharp you get it but do we get it fully the full force of this because remember now back it up we're going to get back to imprecatory prayers that are prayed but now Jesus is warning us don't be judging self-righteous dude Back off on that, slow that roll. But, by the way, while you're living this thing out and you're looking at people around you, walk up to the proverbial mirror and go, oh, it ain't big, but it is there. It's huge, guys. And here's how huge this is. I put it in a long definition, but this is the upside of these little verses Jesus gives. Watch this. The absence of self-examination fuels relational destruction but the presence of self-examination produces relational sanctification I mean this most problems relationally Or because, not because we have an inability to see what is wrong in a given situation, but because we have a propensity to go work it out in others before we take a long look at ourselves. This is what causes marriages to go from intimacy to glorified roommates. My bride had an opportunity yesterday to be at a A little bit of a bridal party and a question came up give us some advice and I said well what'd you give and she gave some great stuff but not least of which was you have these unresolved grievances with someone else without taking care of this in your own eye and seeing it for what it is those little things become bricks 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 and now you're just glorified roommates living in the same hole home or whole <laughs> with a big old wall between you it happens all the time I need you to hear me it happens all the time and you might say well Carl don't leave us hanging what's the solution for this and I'll tell you what the solution is I'm going to give it to you right now and I need you to hear me you want to have a rocking and rolling marriage you need to have times in your marriage when you're looking at each other and you are man this is really hard Men, when you are willing to sit down with your wife and go, I want to hear your heart, let me take your hand. This is how I was coached by someone 10 years older than me. I want to take your hand, I want to hear your heart, and then brace yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit for things that your bride might see in your life that need to change. I promise you, This is a powerful thing. And then we can turn this thing around. You can go the other way. But I got to tell you, you want to have a rock and roll in marriage with good sex. We're listening now, aren't we? What you want to have is honest, vulnerable conversations that helps one another intimately deal with the logs and the specks in one another's eyes. You say, Carl, I'm not married. Pooh. Great training ground. Go before the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, your best friend ever, and tell him Would you look in my eye and tell me what you see? It's amazing. I want to give you three quick benefits of self-examination three quick ones the first is this it keeps yourself postured in humility oh yeah I'm gonna say this if you're new here today you need to know something one of my heroes of faith is Andrew Murray and he wrote the book humility his the preeminent quote that I pull out of that book and there's not one throwaway sentence in the entire book not one Go get it on Amazon. 799, I think. There's not one throwaway book, uh, word in that book, but one, one phrase that he says that I repeat over and over again, and I put it in my book, because it's got to be there he says, "Humility is the birthplace, and it's the one virtue that gives birth to every other virtue." It's true. And what's weird about this, I know some people say, and you want to think like this, hell, I really don't have a spirit of humility. It's not a gift, people. It's a choice. People that go before a holy God and go, all right, I'm going mano a mano. Check me out. Look at me. Hear me. Humble, humble people are the richest people on this planet i tell our staff this don't ever stop being humble or teachable the most dangerous thing for a staff person at 180 chicago is when they get to the point where they are not humble or teachable and it's dangerous in any area of life you never outgrow the need for coaching my bride sat down with these girls and she was just poured out her heart. I said, what else you tell them? She says, I told them that we've been married 35 years and we've not outgrown the need for people to speak into our life. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> Another benefit of self-examination is it grows your spirit of empathy. When you begin to see inner failings in your own life, you can then begin to have empathy for others. I'm telling you right now, when you allow God to search you, and I don't care where you are around the world, this applies to our friends in South Africa and everywhere in between, when you allow God to search you, you will begin to have empathy for others. Because you'll look at your life and you'll go, wow, wow. I'm not all that in that bag of chips that I thought I was. And it's powerful. The third thing I want to give you just quickly is it increases the likelihood you'll extend mercy to others. It does. I'm not big on recommending TV series or period pieces my wife and I we've been hooked on some period pieces as of late but my former one of my former co-hosts on our morning show I called her Sputnik her name's Hannah Fletterer um, she's now Hannah Miller she told my bride one day she said oh you got to see this series you, you and Carl will love it And we didn't watch it we just let just sat there finally we pulled it out oh my goodness It's called Call for the Midwives, get it. It's based in East London in the late 50s, early 60s, and East London is an impoverished area. And Call for the Midwives, when I first started watching it, I'm like, oh no, this is some deal on midwifery, man, and there's babies being born constantly, and I did it twice, and I caught two of them. Do we need to do this all over again? But it's really plot lines of, of what's going on in, in poverty and in riches and in pain and in a group of nuns that have some church ladies that love Jesus that come alongside them and they ride their bicycles around and they do midwifery and there's all kinds of plot lines. But, and I don't want to give it away. All I'm going to tell you is my, when my bride and I, I can't wait to keep jamming through it. And I heard that we're on the first season. So I need to say this right now. I don't know where this is going to go. Writers can go off the cliff down the road. But it is awesome through the first few episodes. Let me tell you that. I mean, amazing. Call in the midwives. Get it. Write it down right now, everyone. Right. <laughs> It's, it's amazing. And you know what happened when we got done watching? Uh, we watched one episode, and I'm like, let's keep going. <laughs> she said, really? You want to do watch another? I said, let's go. We got done with the second one. I said, I'm getting some goodies, and we're going to watch another. <laughs> she said, another? I said, another. We're going to watch it again and again. I had to go to bed, or we'd still be there right now. In it, it painted a picture of the need for mercy that was just outstanding. (sighs) When you start to see the world and yourself as it really is, it'll change the way you live, it'll change the way you love. It'll change the men you look for, single girls. It'll change the man you are, young men. It'll change you. Oh, I know. We gave you a bill of goods, man. You know what we turned discipleship into in America? It's all about getting more information. There's a Greek word for that baloney (laughs) haven't used that in a few months The reality is is that discipleship was intended to be transformational and if you have not allowed a holy God look into your life in the last week and see something it's been too long and God wants to change you So don't be judgy. Make sure you're looking at that speck in your eye before you help the guy with the four by four. And then here's the amazing irony in this, and I don't know Jesus intended it. He's like, then you'll realize, oh, I had the log. <laughs> they had the speck. But then you can't help. But in classic master teacher, savior of the world form Jesus comes through with another truism of life that is so spot on and it's Matthew 7 verse 6 do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you and I know the tendency the emphasis here can be on yeah those dogs I'm telling you Oh, those pigs, I'm telling you. Jesus is employing hyperbole here to say this truth and get this in your heart. Be careful. Be careful. Some people can't handle the truth. I hadn't planned to say this, but let me just say this right now, please especially to, and I've got, my bride and I have a special place in our heart for single women. Single ladies, I want you to listen to me right now. Please do not go out on a second date with a guy who is unteachable. Come up with some creative ways to discern without him knowing you're sleuthing on this to find out if this dude is teachable. Because you don't want to marry some guy who faithfully goes to church, joins a come alive group, whoo, strokes a check every month, but can't handle the truth. sermon on the mount preached by a savior who knew that there's injustice in this world there's sin in this world he knew that his kids would go through persecution he knew that we'd have brothers and sisters that are paying the ultimate price today today he knew that there would be horrible horrible crap happening in this world. He knew it. He knew it. And he said, take a look at your life. When we combine the teachings of Jesus with the unusual prayers of consequence to another, calling down fire on another, it can be absolutely holy and powerfully effective and I'll show you how I can dip back into my story to reveal the grace of God to reveal the love of Jesus all this stuff but you know what sometimes there's elements to Carl's story that I don't share enough and this morning you got to get one. The backstory is, raised in church, going to church, doing the whole thing, good. Know the songs, good. In my heart, I'm a runaway. Doesn't matter how that all happened and all the ugly stuff that went down, but I'll give you a few low points. I remember at the age of 19, working in the oil fields, coming back home, Visiting my folks, having a really nice pickup truck, not that I worshiped it or anything, but it Chevy short bed, Santa Fe 10, striped down a burgundy, beautiful paint job with baby moons and BF Goodrich low profile tires, but <laughs> not that I was into my truck or anything. I uh, came home one night from a friend's house, and I had taken a sip of moonshine. ever clear, actually. It hadn't really hit me until right when I got around the corner on the lake to their house, and as I pulled in, something happened. I blacked out. Next thing I know, here's this adult young man sitting in a car and I'm being woken up by my mom at 10 below zero and she's shaking me going are you going to come in or are you going to sit here and just freeze to death son I would have frozen to death God by his grace allowed my parents and oh by the way parents God gives you intel on kids it's awesome how this happens man he'll drop intel on all day long and by the way as your righteous parents it's awesome intel so I go out to my folks home after a few more years of running from the Lord and I kept hearing from dad oh come back to church come on back to church come on back to church people miss you down there Carl he was doing everything he could to get Carl back to church I'm like oh dad I'll get there but you know I'm busy I uh, pulled off my jeans one night mom was still a good mom even though I'm in my young 20s now and she says hey let me let me wash up your clothes for you I said great and I forgot I had a Western Union money order which is a (laughs) it's an old way that we used to send money around a Western Union money order for about $8,000 down to an Italian guy in Los Angeles. I had a good connection, and some of you know that at this point I had a pretty good cocaine addiction, but I didn't want to spend my money on my cocaine, so I wanted to traffic enough of it where it wasn't dinging me, and I could still have my Alpine stereo system, which was in my car. They found that $8,000 money order and I sat down on the hearth I plopped down and as I'm sitting there looking out over the lake kind of sobering up from a pretty good run I'd been on drinking a cup of coffee and uh uh-oh here comes dad he comes wheeling around the corner and he's about six feet from me and he's making a beeline right beside me and tears are pouring down that big old swede's face just tears pouring down and i'm like no i started putting two and two together it's amazing how all of a sudden you go oop i did oh (laughs) receipt in the pocket dad said something really powerful that day unlike he had ever said anything to me before and he looked at me and he said Carl and he put his arm around me and he could barely get the words out that character he put his arms around me and he said Carl I'm not praying anymore that you come back to church then he starts heaving with this praying and talking to me and he said I'm praying now That you, son, get fully surrendered to God, or that God make you miserable and take you out of this world because you're killing yourself anyway. I saw my mom and dad's prayers answered regularly for 22 years. I was terrified over the next six months God answered my dad's prayers my dad was praying kick every crutch out take away his girlfriends take his money if you have to take it all God And the crutches were kicked one after another after another. They're getting kicked out from under me. And so it just came that time on that beautiful day when I'm driving down Seward Highway in Anchorage, Alaska. And I'm empty and I'm hollow and I've got nosebleeds that I'm hiding from my friends. And now I'm hiding my addictions from even my buddies who are equally as addicted. And my life is caving in. And I got fistfuls of cash in my pocket. My soul was empty. God answered my dad's imprecatory prayers. And he said to me, are you done yet? In that car, I heard the voice of God, are you done yet? And I said, I'm done, God. And on that day, I didn't go to church. I went to my knees and I received eternal life for the first time in my life. Call down fire from heaven. But have a whole lot of Joe Clausen in you who was a very self-examined man and came to me with two things incredible love for a son and armed with fire from heaven it can change the world Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to allow us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Caleb, come on up here. And Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to be glorified here in this moment. Just before we step out of this room, I just pray, oh God, work. Let's work right now. just going to sing that chorus over us. The classic, man. But as we sing this about the goodness and the power of God, I want everyone in this room to think about (sighs) first and foremost the grace of God that's been given to you. The mercy of God. How much you need it. Be humbled by it. Take hold of it. And as you bow low before the Lord, some of you need to do business with God. And I, I've ignored your grace. I receive it right now. I'm the one with the speck in the eye. Maybe you've had a speck in your soul. Maybe it's been a log in your soul. Today is your day of salvation. Come on in. Come on in. It's a holy, it's a powerful thing to pray. To pray down fire, but it's a a righteous thing to pray as you stand in the righteousness of Christ, totally humble. Let God lead you in your prayers.